to The Kurt Locker, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Kurt Russell. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode by my co-hosts. She won't kill you. She's too tired. Whitney Nelson. (laughs) Boy, you could not have picked a better quote for me. Sometimes you're like really on it, and this is like really, really on it. Thanks so much. Yeah, I I try. Mm -hmm. I try. He's the Duke of Philadelphia, A number one, the big man, Eric Hall. Wow. All right. I'll take that. Hi, everybody. <laughs> it fits. It fits. All right. And rounding out the group, don't forget to ask her about the time she kicked someone's ass out of the world. Lindsay Nelson. <laughs> and I'll do it again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's a jam, jam-packed show today. We have... <laughs> Everyone. I think we have, I just, everyone decided to join us and I love it. I love it. I don't want to waste any time. So I want other people to start talking. Uh, So I'll just go through this very, very quickly. Uh, Up top, as always, I like to mention, you can find this podcast and all of our other ones at 12and24.com. That's 12and24.com. You can email us, KurtLockerPod at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at KurtLockerPod. You can also join us on Discord and chat in real time at 12and24.com slash Discord. Uh, we are also broadcasting live on Discord right now. And after some uh, uh, some technical things <laughs> technical that we've, difficulties. we've worked it all out, it's flawless mm-hmm. now. Uh, you could listen live on Discord. It's just a click. Lane Train is here. I'm assuming some other folks might be joining at some point. It's going to be incredible. But I'm going to beep. Uh, uh, here, listen to this. I'm going to beep Lane Train in for just a second. Let's see. Lane Train, you're on the air. My guy. <laughs> this is some good shit, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ooh, Lane Train coming in hot. How's it, uh... <laughs> oh, my God. How's it sounding so far, Lane Train? You could you, you, you know, can be the first person to review our live broadcast. <laughs> you know, I, I'm liking this. I mean, you know, I've been waiting for this. I mean, you know, it's like watching the 1927 Yankees on TV. I mean, you can't get better than this. I will say my very, very brief experience with Lane Train and audio is a lot of obscure sports references I do not understand. <laughs> I want to put this. Before there was a, a Wayne Gretzky thing, and now there's uh-huh. a 27 Yankees thing, and it's it's a lot. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just right. saying I don't understand. You it. have homework, is what you're saying. You have exactly. homework now. <laughs> yeah, and and I I've been waiting for this moment. I mean, it's like you know, I feel like I'm playing with Babe Ruth here. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't get better than these guys. I mean. It, it, it's like being in the movie with Kurt Russell himself. Wow. Well, I, I mean, uh, yeah. thank you. That's it, that's it, Andrew. I'm just, I'm dropping the mic. I'm done. <laughs> right. Don't drop we it. We don't it's even need to do mic. this episode. Yeah, no, we're done. We're out. <laughs> Lane just train, take thanks. Lane Train's word for it. I can't drop the mic, but I would. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear Eric unscrewing it from the boom arm right now. I was going to say, mine is <laughs> bolted to my desk, so it'll take a minute. Yeah, it's not that easy to drop these mics. Right. Lindsay would have to drop her phone and a mic. It's a whole thing for her as <laughs> yep. well. So yep. you can also uh, listen live on Discord. It'll be incredible. And 
We'll, we'll buzz you in like that. It'll be great. Yeah. And then finally, if you want to support us with just a moment of your time, please share the show with your friends. Rate and review us on iTunes. It'll bring more folks into the fray. Let's get to the main event. Lindsay, if you would be so kind, I'd love for you to tell us uh, what we're here to talk about today. I would love to do that. Today, we are talking about the film Escape from New York. It's not the future we wanted, but the future that happened. Once a great city, now a high security prison, designed to keep society's criminals in. But now, everything rides on getting one person out. The survival of the human race, Briscoe. Something you don't give a shit about. Kurt Russell stars as Snake Plissken in John Carpenter's science fiction action classic, Escape from New York. You go in, find the president, bring him out in 24 hours, and you're a free man. What if I'm a little late? And no more Snake Plissken. When I get back, I'm going to kill you. The plot synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes is, In 1997, a major war between the United States and the Soviet Union is concluding, and the entire island of Manhattan has been converted into a giant maximum security prison. When Air Force One is hijacked and crashes into the island, the president is taken hostage by a group of inmates. Snake Plissken, a former Special Forces soldier turned criminal, is recruited to retrieve the president in exchange for his own freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this movie was written by John Carpenter and Nick Castle and directed by John Carpenter. It is a very John Carpenter movie. Um, <laughs> and you don't have to say it that way. No, I think that's a good thing. I'm excited about right, how John Carpenter is. It's a John, it's a John Carpenter movie ass movie. <laughs> yeah, I loved how John Carpenter this movie was. Um, and co-starring alongside Kurt are. Lee Van Cleef, mm. Ernest Borgnine, mm. Donald Pleasance, mm. Isaac Hayes, Henry yes. Stanton, uh -huh. and Adrian Barbeau. Hell yes. <laughs> I think we know, we're getting some idea of what Eric has to say about this movie, but Whitney, what do the critics and the audience have to say? Eric, stop burying the lead. <laughs> so, on Rotten Tomatoes. We have an 86% critic certified fresh. This is the first by a long shot certified fresh <laughs> right. of this podcast it's not even so close. far. Not even close. Uh, so 86% critic score and a 77% audience score, which I find really? really interesting for the, yeah, I would not have, I would have expected them to be a little bit closer. I think a 10% yeah. difference is more dramatic of a difference than I would have expected to see. Also, I would have expected it flipped. I would have expected if somebody was more hype about this movie than others, I would have expected it to be the audience. That's fair. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's it's kind of a cult movie, so I'm kind of surprised yeah. that audience didn't end up higher. Hmm. So Arthur Knight of The Hollywood Reporter says... It has got an intriguing premise, an effective cast, and has been expertly mounted. What? Well, okay. Well done. <laughs> quite sure. a review. Um, also what she said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
User Jen O on Rotten Tomatoes gave it five out of five stars and says, this is my all-time favorite movie. The idea that the result of a summit of world leaders hinges on a pre-recorded cassette tape carried only by the U.S. president is exactly the kind of self-importance that destroys societies. The only <laughs> way to combat that thinking is with heroes like Snake and Cabby. <laughs> It's the only way. It's the only way. <laughs> and then the Kurt Locker listener, Claire's mother. <laughs> Claire's mother has need... a name. I... Sue. It's Sue. Sue. Yeah. Sue's the VIP, Sue the, is the goat. <laughs> we know. I just wanted to clarify as the document was not updated when. That's my fault. Andrew I'll says, take the heat for this one. Yeah. So, Claire's mom says about this episode, I thought the president was weak. I didn't <gasps> like the casting at all, which is. She's like really the anti Eric. She's the anti Eric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care if he got oh, found or Sue. not, and I kept confusing him with other people. <laughs> like, I thought that was his head on a stake in Broadway. I re actually really did like this film. I really did enjoy watching it. It has some weird parts and some scary parts. Uh-huh. That's what Sue says. That's true. That's all true. Yeah. Accurate. So who's who's starting oh us gosh. off here? Eric has seen this movie. He loves the, it's I think we we know what Eric has to say. <laughs> yeah, that's this. fair. But I'm not I, I, so I not do to dismiss think we that. know what Eric has to say. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think maybe I think we should start with Lindsay. This is Lindsay's first time watching it and Yes. And oh, I have definitely. been telling her since I saw Escape from New York that she should watch it because I thought it was up her alley. But I do not actually know if it was up her alley or not. Lindsay, does this movie this work is for you? Up my whole entire street. Not just <laughs> my alley. There was like maybe a full city block of mine that this was up. Wow. So, okay. Mm -hmm. I yes. One of my only complaints is that there are two women in this entire prison complex. That drives me freaking crazy because the rates of incarceration are not that different um, between men and women. Where they're just saying, what, all the women die instantly or? Well, no, there were three women. The first one woman we saw was getting assaulted. Oh, yes, I guess that's true. I mean, there are women in the world outside. There's a there's a stewardess on Air Force One, and then the terrorist is a woman. But yeah, no, 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 but in Manhattan, the first in woman Manhattan. you see is getting sexually assaulted by a group of men. And then there's the the cool chick in the alley who belongs to a different gang. Yes, yes. And then that's there's a... Maggie. And right? then there's Maggie. Yes, the only named female character. Yeah. It is Maggie. Um, and uh, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. Like I said, it is super John Carpenter. You could look at just a couple frames of this and automatically know it was a John Carpenter movie, um, uh -huh. which I mean in the best way. It uh, somehow I had osmosed a lot about this movie over the years. I somehow completely missed the president plot that he had like 24 hours to rescue the president. That had completely not come to my attention, whereas a lot of the rest of it. Had. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought that the plot was fun. I mean, even if it was, I like that they don't go into excessive detail. I like it when a movie trusts its audience about like the tape and cold fusion and <laughs> all of yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, 
I do. I the whole I heard I've heard about you. I heard you were dead thing. I yeah. know that that's either like it's either an homage or a satire of the John Wayne movie, um, Big Jake, where every single character thinks Big Jake is dead and says that. It was giving me much more state and Maine vibes than mm-hmm. John Wayne vibes. <laughs> okay. 100% more state and Maine than it, John Wayne. I'm with you yeah. on that one. But literally, no. only people that know Lindsay and myself know the movie State and Maine. So that's not necessarily the best <laughs> reference. We're the two-person marketing team for State and Maine. <laughs> I mean, knowing Carpenter's love of westerns, I'm going to go with John Wayne on this. No, one. I mean, I know he said that it's a it's a reference to Big Jake. Yeah. So okay. I, it, that's that's it stated. And like I said, either satire or homage. I'm not sure which he was going for, but um, but it just gave me more go you husky vibes than it did John Wayne <laughs> vibes. But um, I also I want Snake's outfit really badly, and the internet failed me because I can get the pants and the shirt, but nobody has the boots. Which I agree with the old man is the best part of the outfit. What? I thought, you know, character development was, I mean, not necessarily <laughs> huge, but not more than you would really expect it to be, I guess, in this kind of a movie. Like, everybody's characters were very, very on the surface. Yeah. Except for what Ramon, the blonde, the fey, slightly insane blonde guy. Uh, I, I was very much curious about what was going on with him and then he died much sooner than I would have liked because I didn't get any more information about what was going on with him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you um, talking about Romero, the guy that has the president's Romero, finger? yes. Yes. Okay. And who, uh, yeah, switches the hat for the tape. Um, but I liked his sort of manic um, sting from Dune energy. <laughs> but <laughs> Uh-huh. That's exactly correct. What? Yes. <laughs> but I did get to find out any more about his story, which I would have liked to. Um, but I also uh, don't know why if they discovered Cold Fusion, all they have is this tape and that they like somebody had to discover it. Right. Like <laughs> that. Did they lack that person? But then why are they broadcasting it to a bunch of people? I mean, I do have some questions, but I like that they left it kind of mysterious and open ended because and just focused on this like. We have 24 hours to get in and get out and survive story. And, you know, I thought Kurt did an excellent job. I can't imagine anybody else playing Snake Plissken other than Kurt Russell. So nice. Those are my thoughts. Would you believe right. Charles Bronson? It wouldn't have been as fun. What? I could see it. I also it wouldn't heard, have been as fun. I also heard Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, my God. I don't know if that's true or not, but I heard Tommy Lee Jones. And again, both of those would have been just very different movies. Yes. I mean, so different. All three shifts. of those movies are wildly yeah. different. So I agree. It's a great movie. I can't believe I only saw it for the first time like a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the overall premise of this movie is impeccable. The, the whole, like, story seed of this movie is great. The casting is perfection. I think every single person that was cast was cast incredibly well. Take that, Sue. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sue. Shots fired. Shots fired. We're not trying to kidding, alienate Sue. We the love audience. You. We love Come you. On, Sue Eric. and I are in direct opposition in this one. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that the this is not the best screenplay I have ever seen, but it is such a good movie because of the directing is good. Like, I feel like John Carpenter's directing vision is so much stronger in this than this, the, like, screenplay writing vision. I feel like it's pretty minimal as far as dialogue goes. There's nothing that's, that is notable that isn't brought to life by the people who are playing it. Like, none of the dialogue taken separately and put into a script is, like, oh, wow, that's a really great line. Everything is really brought to life by the actors. I do feel like the pacing and the tension ramping up is good, but I feel like that ends up being more sort of storyboarding and editing and cinematography than it is, like, dialogue. I don't necessarily think this is John Carpenter's best storytelling, but I think you just have such an incredibly good and simple idea, and then you fill it with, a crazy cast. Um, Ernest Borgnine as Cabby is my favorite part of the movie, by far. I think that his sort of like, oh, he's a doddering old man who gets in everybody's business, but then he actually really does know everybody and he actually really does, you know, know how to like protect himself and his business and whatever. I think the fact that he's much sharper than he appears, just everything works perfectly with Cabby. Um, but also I think that it is incredible work on Kurt Russell's behalf. This is such a crazy departure from anything we've seen <laughs> him do up until now. And used cars was like him trying to be more adult, clearly, but I don't think it worked. I think there was still sort of like a Disney vibe he hadn't shaken off in used cars, even though he like said fuck and smoked cigarettes and whatever and like... <laughs> put braless girls on top of cars and stuff. I don't think that he fully shook off the Disney. I think this was an incredible thing for him to do for himself, for his career to become, he immediately, he apparently aged 10 years between this yeah. used cars. Like I know in reality he did not, but like just the way that he carried himself and the way that he lowered his voice and the physical like presence that he had was so different than we've seen him have in any movie that it's really just clear that as an actor he has an innate sense of where he should be and who he is in a in a movie because it just to watch used cars and then to watch this and I'm curious now we've talked about this we are not going to watch the uh made for TV Elvis thing that's yeah. where John Carpenter first saw him and saw some seed of something that he was like, that's what I need. Yeah, I clearly saw a monosyllabic rogue in Kurt Russell that other people had not previously <laughs> seen because he would proceed to cast him as that many multiple times. Yeah, so I definitely think that there's... Um, clearly he's a talent. Walt Disney died with his name in his hand. Like, we know that there's sort of a legend about Kurt Russell, but I, I didn't really, he was an excellent actor and he had, was an excellent actor from like an incredibly young age, carrying every movie we saw him in, in the early stuff. But I still think I was taken aback by the, the sort of personality shift and how he inhabited this character that I was not anticipating, even having seen it before, but now going back and watching the old ones, the, just the shift from like, Disney years to used cars to here 
is it's he didn't learn from his movie experience. This is just like his innate ability as an actor to have a whole different weight and physicality and just well, everything. And, and to be so charismatic for a part that is not designed to give you a lot. Like he doesn't yeah. say much in the beginning. I mean, you're getting a lot of attitude, but you're on his side as the audience, like immediately. Yeah. Um, and which in a way that is a little bit, you know, it's very impressive because he doesn't have much to get you on his side before you're already on. Yeah. Who's next? All right. So Eric, <laughs> if I could just hop in here, cause I know, yeah. I think, yeah, that I, I think we went in reverse order maybe of like, uh, person who saw the most recent then 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 okay i agree with whitney about this that this is like a very so plot wise at like capital f fine you know like fate of free mm-hmm. world rests on this guy he is about to be incarcerated boom let's make this thing happen but that like very simple idea is compounded with like great directing great casting and like like frankly like fucking impeccable production design <laughs> like the oh, way that new yes, york the feels costumer. yes the costumer did such good work with what is ostensibly a very limited budget the yeah. fact that this is like filmed when it is and there's a bunch of like late 70s early 80s fashion but there's like rivets and rope holding the seams together and everything just every single part of the fashion design whoever was i didn't look at the credits whoever was the like costumer for this movie did not get paid enough because they had such (laughs) an incredible attention to detail and i love the way that all of the costuming was very kitschy but also felt grounded like it was very much turned up to 11 in a lot of ways and a little bit wacky but in a way that still felt very realistic like criminals dropped into a gated manhattan had to find and make their own <laughs> clothes out of what was still there. It yeah. very much feels very realistic. And I so I agree with the production design, but specifically I had to shout out the costume designer. I agree the costumes were great, but the whole the whole artistic look of it was great. I mean that car with the chandeliers, the Duke's car. Oh <laughs> the, the Duke's the car with the like sort of hollow silver paint job. The sort of holographic and then the two chandeliers on the front and the disco ball where the rear view mirror should be. Chef's Just everything kiss. about it. It's a big mood. That car is <laughs> yeah. a big mood. Yeah. <laughs> Surprised I haven't seen more of them driving around because it's such a good <laughs> idea. That kind of made me want to get one. <laughs> <laughs> um... So that so that is like the the central conceit for me is like it's exactly Whitney summed it up great. It's like a good idea, but it's surrounded by all of these great things, really, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like I'm going to have to go ahead and, and disagree again with Sue uh, that I think the cast <laughs> was perfect. And really, I couldn't see anyone else in these roles, specifically, you know, uh, Snake and Cabby uh, and the way that they mm-hmm. uh, interact, I thought was, you know, quite quite good i mean i thought um, hux is that what is his name the guy the the chief of police guy who sends the man who was also special forces i thought he was very well oh yeah too. yeah Hulk. absolutely yeah lee van cleave oh, mm-hmm. so good so good also harry dean stan <laughs> come on well yeah so yeah so it's everybody so, <laughs> it's everybody. so, so. It's everybody. everybody's great in this sorry sue 
Some people said some things about the cast that were not true. And then a majority of the people said <laughs> things about the cast that were true. Um, In Sue's defense, I think she's just talking about Donald Pleasance. I think she just doesn't like who they cast as the president. But uh, Yeah, but that's a carpenter. That's a carpenter. Uh, you know, that's this that's is fine. very much his like rogues gallery. A lot of these yeah, people work absolutely. with him a lot. Yeah. It's like when Chris Nolan gets Michael Caine, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I mean, he's not pleasant as the president, but he's not supposed to be. So, I, you know, I think he did that very well. Like, uh, you immediately find him, like... A little bit slimy and yeah. easily, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, in the Discord, I think Claire suggested that uh, this might have been a reference to, to Jimmy Carter based on the timing, but... Uh, Carpenter did say it was a direct response to Richard Nixon, so he I was just gonna supposed so to be slimy, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a plug for the Discord too. <laughs> That's a plug. Twelve twenty four dot com slash Discord. Get here. Get in Get on here. the Discord. <laughs> Come chat. Um, I've wrote a lot of uh, profanities in my notes here, so I, I mean, I, I'll I'll focus on the ones that um, really drive home the points for me. I wrote an hour, 40 minutes. Fuck yes. Right. This movie moves. I actually wanted more movie, which is very rare for me. I'm always like, let's cut this thing in half. And this movie has like, let's double it. Between Cool Breeze Over the Mountains and the Kurt Locker, the first thing that I look at to see if it's a movie I'm going to like or not is the runtime now. An hour and 40 minutes is mm, chef's kiss. Beautiful. Yes, I love to see it. <laughs> yeah. If you can keep it under two hours, as a general rule, I appreciate the things that you cut out and the like, you know, keeping it moving, the dedication to keeping things moving. And I think that's part of the reason why the tension does continue to escalate as well as it does in this movie is there's nothing that slows it down. Yeah. it's And in that regard, it's pretty perfect, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a movie with like, Multiple literal ticking clocks. So yeah, <laughs> yep. It's people He's always looking his, at their wrist. What's going on? His Suicide Squad bombs in his neck, and you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Escape from New York did it first. I, I know. I'm saying I'm impressed that they did it first. I'm just saying it's a reference, a contemporary reference. Right. Uh, I will also say and this should surprise no one who is a fan of John Carpenter, that this soundtrack fucking slaps. Slaps. speak out of turn here but like i felt very reminiscent this watch this go through for me of like a a synth wave terminator soundtrack you know what i'm saying like it's got some of the some of those themes the music themes going on but in this very cool john carpenter way and i loved it like i was i'm a hundred percent in on it i have a couple other little things 
let me just go ahead and, you know, what we want to, pacing was incredible, plot was what it was, but again, surrounded by a bunch of, of, of amazing things. Perfection, yeah. Yeah, character development, there is none, but I didn't need it in this, really. <laughs> well, any movie that happens in real time, you're yeah, not necessarily there's no. <laughs> looking for huge character development. No. There's only so much change in a person that's believable in two hours. Exactly. One of the exactly. only character moments that felt false to me at all, which, you know, is Maggie sacrificing herself after Brain died. That was one of the only character beats that didn't feel earned to me. Otherwise, you got what you needed from these characters yeah. for this yeah. story. Yes, I agree with that. Um, originality of story. This is, this is, it's a fine, like I said, it's a fine story. It's been duplicated quite a bit, or at least elements of this have been lifted almost whole cloth, uh, and put into other permutations of this. Um, <laughs> I think about the Keanu movie we watched, the bad batch and I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, that is this essentially. Right. Um, so then let me get to what I am geeking out about here primarily, which is the technical work of this film. Couple cool things. Carpenter has exquisite taste in typefaces and fonts. I, I cannot, <laughs> everything that had fonts on it, I was like, holy shit, that is the best font to use for that particular thing. It's just great. <laughs> the backdrop paintings in this movie mm -hmm. are ridiculously good. Like, mm -hmm. I imagine that Eric has been on the hunt for some of the originals. I just have to imagine that Eric's been like <laughs> trolling the internet, trying to get his hands on whatever these original backdrops that were used in this movie are, because they are amazing. They look great. The other thing I really like is, and this is like a very nerd, uh, like a very nerdy thing, but the lenses that he was using had some kind of effect. It might be like some people call this like the character of the lens or whatever, but like they were very blurry on the top and the bottom. It almost looked like a tilt shift kind of effect mm -hmm. uh, throughout the entire thing. And I loved it. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, I have to. And I couldn't find any information about the the like the technical, like what went into the, the shooting of it. And maybe that's because I didn't look hard enough, but whatever. I just <laughs> love the way this movie like looks like mm -hmm. the aesthetic and the choices they used from a technical side reinforce and back everything up. And again, we we holler pretty much every episode. We holler and yell about practical effects and how important yes. they are. But I think this is a yeah. great example. There are like two CGI things that don't hold up at all. Most notably the the plane going off of the World Trade Center. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the CGI there just doesn't pan out, but everything else being so practically done, the computer graphics look better than movies made ten years ago. <laughs> yes, and that's because yeah. they're practical. Right. It's it's very refreshing to see. Uh, I mm -hmm. you know I I go into when we watch movies that are this old. I go in expecting a certain level of like, uh, like eye rolling at. Mm -hmm. at whatever is happening technologically or, or CG wise. And that didn't really ever happen in this, even the, even the plane thing. I'm like, eh, you know, that's fine. Like I'll, I'll take it uh, because mm -hmm. everything else looked amazing. And that's really all I'll say. I, I absolutely loved revisiting this movie. It had been quite a long time since I had seen it originally, but it was great. It was like great to, 
you know, like his voice never gets above basically a whisper. So, <laughs> so you like, I feel like the whole time I'm like leaning in to listen to Snake say what, like four words, but I'm like, this is great. How, what a great character. Oh my God. I loved it. It was great. Eric, I'll start the timer. <laughs> no, go for I've, it, man. I promised myself I wouldn't ramble on, so I won't ramble on. Um, this is one of my favorite films. Uh, I think I said in like our our trailer episode, like a poster for this movie hangs over my couch. I, I have a Snake Plissken doll. I'm not even going to call <laughs> it an action figure. It is a doll. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Carpenter. I'm a big fan of Carpenter and Kurt Russell. So like this is 100% my jam. Um, nice. You know, this movie like nails you with the title. Like you want to know what this movie is. Escape from New York. What is that? Right. Mm -hmm. And to Whitney's point, like it's just a really solid premise. It might be silly. Like why did we decide to just make Manhattan a prison? But it puts you there and you I mean, buy I, in right away. I feel like as someone who's lived adjacent to Manhattan with all of the like tri-state rivalries, it's funny and makes sense. But also as someone who has lived in New York for yeah. several years, it's also funny and makes sense. Yeah. I think everyone gets it. Yeah, obviously. Well, if you're not going to wall off Florida yeah. because it's not an island, the next thing you do is the island of Manhattan. And I do think this is coming off of the era like when everybody was disenchanted with New York because of the, you know, the rising crime rates and the people feeling it was dirty. And this was before all of the like cosmetic clean up New York stuff and whatever. So I can definitely see that. I do like the way John Carpenter takes very serious things and very silly things and puts them together. Like they were responding to a very real between what was it? 72 and 80 incarceration mm -hmm. had gone up 60% um, in less than a decade. And on our way to becoming, you know, the nation that has the most incarcerated citizens in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, like, and his politics aren't subtle, right? Like, no, has anybody seen They Live? Not no, subtle. I, yeah. I, I'm literally wearing a They Live t-shirt right now. <laughs> yeah, and I are. actually bought a Rowdy Roddy Piper doll this weekend from <laughs> They Live. So yes, I have seen They Live. But, you know, I and uh, like... You guys have basically hit on the stuff that I love, right? Like, the movie doesn't feed you too much. Like, you don't get any explicit backstory about Snake's, Snake Plissken, except for some, like, uh, some of his uh, military record. Um, but that's sort of all you need, right? There's, there's actually one of the things, there was a huge sequence that was cut from this film, and it was a different intro where you see Snake get captured. You see, like, what he did to end up in Manhattan prison. Yeah. And arguably, you don't need that. And it also might sympathize, it might cause the audience to sympathize with him in a way that I don't think was intended. Um, like, it works so much better with him just walking in and sort of, being a badass, right? Like, it, mm -hmm. you get it right off the bat. There's no question. If I may be so bold as to say, that's probably 
kind of the same approach they took for John Wick. I was just going to say the same thing. It's very yeah. John Wick-esque to me. If you like John Wick, you'll like this in the way that like it's showing you what you need to know as you need to know it and nothing more, which yeah. makes yeah. you really intrigued in the world. Hinting at a lot more. I looked up some stuff. They're, they apparently have a very extensive backstory and future story for Snake Plissken when they made this. Um, and there's like comic books and stuff. And there was also other movies that they thought about doing, but they had, they wrote all that before this first movie. And so they know a lot about the character, but they didn't feel the need to tell you, which is usually my favorite kind of like (laughs) media that people make because that there's a solidness to the characters when they know all the details, this world feels so inhabitable. So much of what we're talking about with the costume design and the production design and the characters is that it feels like such a real place because they knew all these details, but they didn't feel a need to tell you everything that they knew about it, which I usually really like if it's done well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I I love that it's ostensibly a heist movie, but it's, it's really just more of a horror movie. Um, Yeah. When we were talking about like pacing and tension, like those are all horror beats complete with like, there are several jump scares in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. Like, I think people tend to think of it as a straight action movie, but there's there's not a ton of action in this film. There's a lot of like creeping around a dark New York City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone mentioned the casting. Um, you know, I, I think that practically <laughs> speaks for itself. So. Um, <laughs> I'm I, I'm fine, Sue. Sue, I, really I know just you just watched it, but time. maybe revisit this one. <laughs> But like, Kurt is is amazing. Lee Van Cleef is just you know a lot of these guys are like bringing their careers with them, right? Like, if you've seen Lee Van Cleef in anything, you kind of immediately get his character, right? Like, um, Isaac Hayes is just impeccably cast <laughs> as and surprising. I don't know if this yes. was his first film Perfectly role. Perfectly cast. But, like, he's so dead on. He knows this character 100%. Um, I I also agree with Lindsay in that, like, women are given very short shrift. And, frankly, that's true of a lot of Carpenter's movies. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's... one of my it's... biggest problems with him as a director I like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think any of it is intentional. Like, his producing partner deborah hill was like a strong influence on his his choices so i do find it odd that they're just his stories seem to be be just like bereft of women right like it's it's not even like it's not even that like he i mean he does treat them poorly and i have news for you the woman in escape from la doesn't fare a whole lot better but (laughs) um like, it is weird they are just, like, bereft of women. You By the time you get to the thing, there's, like, literally none. So, um, Yeah. That, that is, there's no that, women, reason why some of those Arctic researchers couldn't have been women in the 80s. You know? Agreed 100%, and they bring in, they totally bring in a woman in the remake, or prequel, or whatever we're calling that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, that was a great, I gotta say, Eric, that was a great review of the prequel slash remake of the thing without actually even reviewing it. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so few words and so much conveyed. You know, and then Harry Dean Stanton is playing 
the same character Harry Dean Stanton always plays, but he's kind of perfect at it. Um, I agree. Adrian Barbeau, her motivations are very cloudy. Like when we meet her, um, it is straight up said that the Duke gave Maggie to brain as a gift, but all of a sudden she has loyalty and love for him. So that's, those motivations are cloudy and arguably over time, maybe she developed feelings, but like we don't get that in the film, right? Yeah. Everything else up until then seems to be just like strategic survival calculations on her part. Until and, then. And yeah. And that's the kind of character Maggie feels like is like mm -hmm. she, she's out for Maggie because she's stuck in, you know, Manhattan prison. Um, as far as character, character, or sorry, character development, my mouth is not working today. Um, I think we're all on the same page. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's not a lot of that going on in this movie. Um, there's enough. I mean, I think the biggest character development is Snake coming around to like Cabby and be sad when he dies. And that's really all I wanted. Sure. That's fair. That checks out. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, and interestingly... Um, he, in the, the deleted intro, like he watches his partner die. And I feel like that would have pulled away from Cabby's death, right? Like oh, it yeah. might've been yep. too much. That's um, who he references when they run into brain that brain left him and, uh, the other guy, you know, pine dry and the, the police killed his partner when they arrested them. So. But, like, agonizingly, apparently, like, tortured to death his partner. The brain clearly pulls a Benny from 1991's The Mummy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. This is also a Mummy Appreciation <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Aren't they all, though? Aren't they all? Yeah. Um, Secretly, every any, podcast anything, is a Mummy Appreciation yeah, Podcast. Yeah, anything with Whitney and I in it is certainly secretly a Mummy <laughs> Appreciation <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Look, I, I have Shit. been a longtime fan as well. I'm just glad there's been a cultural reappreciation because people used to see that movie on my shelf and be like, The Mummy? Really? And I'm like, you just need to watch that. Oh, never yeah. for us. Never, never for, for us. us. From the moment that it came out on VHS until now, we have been no mummy shame. devout, avid mummy fans. As just an incredibly fun time at the movies like it's just such a fun film and also is responsible for making all millennials pansexual that's <laughs> <laughs> true i can't argue fun. with any of that right why would you <laughs> that, no, no lies detected yep. yeah. <laughs> i just joked that my sexuality is the cast of the mummy <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and then technically, like, it's just super solid, right? Like, you talked about the cinematography. Whitney talked about, um, you know, the the practical effects. You know, there's, uh, like, coming in over the battery and the glider, there's a noticeable model. But, like, that warms my heart instead of making me, like, feel that it's cheesy. Like... Stuff like that. You know, Whitney called out the computer graphics, which aren't actually computer graphics because we weren't quite there in 1981 and it would have cost a fortune. Um, so they are just like they just photographed the model with reflective tape on it to make their like, you know, uh, 
vector graphics. Um, the uh, the score, uh, like, you either love a John Carpenter score or you don't love a John Carpenter score. Um, there, similarly, I feel like there has been a re appreciation of his scores. We see movies like It Follows doing what is mm-hmm. clearly yes. a Carpenter score. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I think the generation that grew up on his movies is now also making movies, right? And they are throwing back to some of that stuff. Um, so if I, you don't like a John Carpenter score, get out. We can't. Be- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I also think there's a lot of that influence on like stranger things. I mean, obviously oh, 100%. Oh, so much. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you want to talk about the influence of this film, right? Like, you know, uh, William Gibson cites it as a as a source for Neuromancer. Uh, you know, the Metal Gear video game series <gasps> owes so yeah. much money to John Carpenter. All of it. Like, All of it. <laughs> like you oh, know, the yeah. influence of this film is is vast. You know, I yeah. mean, I think Hideo Kojima straight up said that, right? He oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Flat out said like. No, this owes a lot to this movie. He knew he had no choice. Like otherwise, we'd just be like, "You're a liar." Kojima. <laughs> You're pretending. You're you named the character Snake. He has an eye patch. Like in this, and in the second game, he's like going undercover, and he's like, "Call me Pliskin." Pliskin. <laughs> You're like, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, no. it's great. It's great. Um, you know, and to to Lindsay's point, like some of these characters have gotten or we're so big and we wanted so much more of them that there is sort of an expanded universe. So, you know, Carpenter and Nick Castle, and I want to point out Nick Castle also played Michael Myers, the shape. Uh, but what? there's such an expanded, he was the guy in the mask in Halloween. Get out of my face. Really? <laughs> um, <laughs> he wrote this. Oh my God. Uh, but like, you know, they had a backstory, but there's also like a whole expanded universe out there of like comic books and, um, you know, the there's a novelization even that expands on it. Now, that was put out at the time. Um, my favorite. So I don't know that we do novelizations anymore. Maybe we do and I'm just not catching them. But this was a big thing in the 70s and 80s. Like mm-hmm. even before a movie would come out, you could read the whole novel of the movie. But what often happened was the novelist was working with, like, not the shooting script, right? They were working with, like, a third or fourth draft because the book needed to be done before the movie. They were working on, like, simultaneously, so there's differences because... Right, and with this one, like, they expanded on things, and one of the things, like, in the novelization was that the tape that the president has... Um, at the very end, it turns out to not actually even be Cold Fusion. Um, but the president was going to reveal, like, a better nuclear weapon. Uh, and that's how he was going to, like, cause the peace talks. So, like, the book is even more cynical, right? <laughs> so did they say what was actually on the tape in the book if it wasn't Cold Fusion? It was a a fallout free nuclear weapon. So like we would be able to use nuclear weapons without destroying the planet. 
Oh, so he was calling a peace talk to threaten everybody. Yes. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Very American. Yeah. <laughs> Classic America. Oh. All right. Dang. Eric, you've blown my mind with some of these things here. Unbelievable. And I think I kept that to a manageable length. I, I mean, I didn't actually start a timer. I feel good. I feel good about the amount that I learned from you. So, you know, there's, I, I think there's you got that. the president out within the time limit. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We Step into the x-ray machine. We can uh, <laughs> diffuse what's in your neck now. I see. I, I see here. Uh, Lane Train has been waiting patiently. I'm going to bring him in. Do we? Or I'm, I'm just going to do this real quick. I don't know how this is going to yeah. go. Let's see. Let's see. Um. Lane Train. Lane Train, you're on the air. Hey, guys. <laughs> yes. All right. I want, to, I want to put this out there. Two things that I will say about this movie that I did not like um, was Tom Atkinson's part. Atkins' part. I just, when, when I see him in this movie, I don't think of him as being this tough guy uh, part to kind of give Kurt Russell orders. I actually think of him actually in lethal weapon. And I really don't see him as a tough guy, even though he was in the fog and he did a good part in that movie. I think about him in really more of lethal weapons. And that's the, like the, the really two of the roles that I see him. And I, I just don't think he was a good fit for really this movie. Um, I Carpenter is Carpenter. Everything that man touches, he just has a brilliant mind. And to put, you know, he knows what it takes to, you know, he sees what he has with his script and, you know, he puts the music with the script and he really, and, and the actors and actresses, and he really makes it brilliant. I think he's a very underrated uh, director. And I, I, I just think he's really great in everything that he, he does. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well said. Well said. All right. Yeah. Uh, I do have a question for everybody. Well, I, I have two questions. So let me throw this out there to 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 y'all, my co-hosts here real quick. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on on remaking this movie? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? I think so. I think it's kind of precious. Which one? <laughs> Is it a good idea or bad? I think it's a good oh, okay. idea or a right, good, good. I think it would I think it would hit hit well right now. I don't know who you would put in Snake Plissken because I think Kurt Russell so deeply ingrained himself in the role. It was sitting with The Rock, wasn't it? Was it? What? No, that well, that's be terrible. terrible. I hate that. Would that. Be very, no, very bad. It it is awful casting. Yeah, agreed. All right. I think his production company had it. I don't. It was oh. implied that he would be starring, but I don't know. No, no I thank would not. You. I would not care. But for no, that. that's that's that would terrible be, that casting. Would not work. Yeah. yeah. I like Dwayne in a lot. Don't get me wrong. No, he's but some things, yeah. you know. Yeah, he works he's well in his hero. specific lane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of the course. Most bankable, hardworking guy in Hollywood. Like I'm right. not going to say no to The Rock, but for a lot of stuff. But for a lot of things. Work for him. But I will say no to The Rock for Snake Plissken. Yeah, I mean the the roles that really work with him rest on this kind of like good-natured joviality in somebody who physically you're not supposed to expect that from. Like, those are the parts yes. that really work for The Rock, and that is not Snake Plissken at all. Now, I will say that this movie was 
basically like completely remade and they went with Guy Pierce. And that weirdly worked. Hmm. It, it, I don't know. It I'm not a worked. fan of Guy Pierce. <laughs> well, you know who I think would be you good are in wrong. it? Stanley Tucci. <laughs> Stanley the Tucci. I think the Tucci would be a good snake. Interesting. I mean, I'd definitely watch that. Like Stanley Tucci now or Stanley Tucci, younger Stanley Tucci? Which one? Or both? Mm, does, does it matter Stanley to you? Stanley Tucci, like 10 years ago. Okay. That's fair. I'm, That's fair. generally come down on the side of not remaking things unless you have a compelling reason to remake it. If just because you liked it and you think it would make money introducing it to a new audience, that doesn't usually work for me. Like, you have to have a reason either technologically or story-wise or, like, current social relevance-wise. And while I do think Whitney's right in that there's a lot that's still only become more resonant (laughs) about this movie now... Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, the whole like race and class divide and sending everybody to Manhattan and like leaving them to fend for themselves. They're not even like policed once they're policed. I think there's a lot of stuff about Escape from New York that could be very relevant today. Yeah, I think a good remake could be done. I just generally think don't remake a great movie unless you have a specific reason why you're remaking it, not just to do it. Those are almost never good. Yeah. And usually it's like because you could do something now that you couldn't do then. I mean, things like when they made that terrible remake of Psycho. <laughs> why are you re- trying to remake an Alfred Hitchcock movie? Shot for shot. When Shot for shot. Yeah. It's just never going to be as good. <laughs> and we're actually going to get there with Kurt. Like the thing is a remake, but it's it's a very good remake, right? Like they had a different take on the subject. They had better technology to produce the monster. So, like, I'm 100% with you. Like, I don't see a reason to remake this movie unless you've got a different take on it. Yeah. I I ask because it seems like a lot of Carpenter's properties have, in some respect, been remade um, uh, or appropriated more recently. Um, But for whatever reason, this one has gone overlooked when you know, Hollywood's been mining the 80s for all sorts of like reboots and remakes. This one has kind of flown under the radar a little bit, uh, or at least I it, it, I mean, it definitely has not. It's just they can't, they can't get it fig- off yeah, the they ground. can't figure. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's what I should say. A lot of them get cre- like, I, you know, say what you will about the how many times they've rebooted the character. But I thought uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride's Halloween was quite a good film, in my opinion. Not Rob Zombie's. Don't care for that one. But um <laughs> you know, that's all. That's all. Yeah. No, Robert Rodriguez would love to remake Escape from I New would York. Like, love to pay Robert Rodriguez money. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. I would love that. Uh, OK, so, yeah, we're like 50. I guess we're like 50 50 on the remake uh, thing, which is which is great. My second question for y'all. A brief moment of is he hot in this one? <laughs> You just want to know what movie is he pretty in? That's a heavy burden for me alone to bear. Maybe just his character in the last one bugged me enough that I didn't think he was as dreamy. He's very dreamy in this film. Is he hot in this one? (laughs) Whitney! What do we got? Yes. (laughs) I kind of thought the answer would be yes, but 
Okay. This is the hottest Kurt Russell has been so far. Okay. That's a definitive statement. I All like of it. my statements are definitive. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That, that, that is actually true. I can't ever. <laughs> you, you do a lot of things, but you do not waffle. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, this is, this is peak Kurt Russell. And I kind of expected that yeah. having seen this movie before, but not having seen it in the context of this podcast or is he dreamy? Yes or no. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's not in a mullet yet. I mean, I, I prefer this hair to the this hair is great. I love this I hair. I think more people should have this hair. I wish we could get back to the more this, like voluptuous yeah, feathers. wavy 70s rock star hair. I'm into it. So you bring that up. Uh, we had Claire's mom write in about this as well. Um, and she says he looks really good, which is really why we watch the films. And his hair, <laughs> perfect. He barely broke a sweat. <laughs> so on this, so we Sue, all agree. Yeah, Sue gets it this time. Yeah, <laughs> Sue's right on the money here. I will this say this is why we watch his his uh, single entendre snake tattoo coming out of his pants is a little oh, much. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. I like, but it. you know, overall he's very hot in this one. Honestly, I'm. It's my favorite part of the doll. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, my favorite anything is a single entendre. Yeah. <laughs> Don't veil it. Don't cloak it. Don't try and make it cutesy. Just give me an, a, a very apparent sex reference, please. Yes. Although it looked more like a question mark than a snake, which I'm not sure yeah, it is did what look he like wanted, a, yeah. you know, to be questioning his pants. Look down here, maybe? <laughs> oh, my God. It also takes a while for them to reveal that, which I think is an interesting choice. Like a, like, like a long it's time. It's almost a whole movie, well, right? Well into the movie before yeah. we I, see it. I did yeah. think about, because that shirt is pretty short, like it's just to the waistband of the like leggings. I was like, did they go through the trouble of putting it on every day in case? Or did they wait <laughs> for the scene where they knew Some he was going to have makeup his person? <laughs> Yeah. Like every day they're like, this is going to be my day. No, damn. Yeah. I mean, there are probably there are worse, worse ways, to yeah, to spend a day than putting a tattoo on Kurt Russell's abdomen. So, yeah, that, that I mean, all works out. That works out. So we're, I think we all agree that he was hot in this one. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Perfect Ooh. hair. The whole, the whole nine yards. Great. Yes. Oh Correct. my god. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna pay some bills really quickly, and then, oh my god. Oh. But everybody. My God. Stay tuned. You... You're going to be very excited. Need to listen through this ad break. Lane Train, Casey, hang with us. Hang with us. <laughs> so uh, this is... I'm going to be super quick. Look, I'm talking about Skillshare, right? I always talk about Skillshare, it seems, right? And they still mm-hmm. let they still let us talk about them, which is a wonderful thing. So thank you, <laughs> Even Skillshare. Even through your ham-fisted segues, yeah. <laughs> Oof. It is, you know, I, I, was, I was looking for... <laughs> My heart, yeah. my heart. Um, Kid, out of love. <laughs> Skillshare is a way you can learn pretty much anything. I want to tell you about uh, one thing I've been learning recently. I saw uh, a, a tutorial for After Effects, and it's how to get the retro chrome look. 
Uh, if you were to look up retrochrome in Google, uh, it, it's exactly what you think of when you think of the 80s, right? That grid that goes off into the distance, the outrun style colors and all that stuff. And it's just animating that stuff. I took about two hours and I know how to do that now. And it's incredible. And I have access to that whenever I need to refresh myself on, on how to do that look. Um, and I got paid. A client asked me to do that. I learned it. And then I got paid to, to learn, essentially, which is really, really nice. Um, I vouch for this as a, uh, a platform for teachers and students. So I teach on there. And then I also take classes. And it's really, really wonderful. Uh, there are 30,000 individual courses on Skillshare. The class that I took on Retrochrome had 210 students. It was very small. The teacher gave everyone personal attention. It was pretty great. I, I had questions. This dude who's been animating for a while had the answers. It was, it was really awesome. They provide great content outlines, narrow down exactly what you want to learn. You know what you're getting in for. You know how long it's going to take you. You know the time investment and you know what you'll have at the end. So what we have at 12and24.com slash Skillshare, if you're using an advanced podcast client like Pocket Casts or Overcast or something, just tap on the artwork right now. It'll take you there. Free 14-day trial. And then after that, it's just $15 month to month, $8.25 a month if you have uh, if you pay annually, you know, all that good stuff. So uh, do it. That's all I got to say. That's it. That was like the closest to staying on script I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> But now it's done and it's time to move on to a segment that if you are uh, only a Kurt Locker podcast listener, you may be unfamiliar with. Oh, my gosh. Team, I put together a song today. You were all in the chat with me while I was doing this, and I'm, I'm very excited to unveil it to you. So this is the first time my co-host will be hearing this song. I was tweaking it up until about five minutes before we started recording. So I hope it sounds good. Here we go. Figure it out, asshole. We're going to find out who's who. I mean, I'd peg us at a D minus for this kind of thing. Keeping you at a disadvantage is an advantage I intend to keep. Think you can win on talent alone? You don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. I honestly, I don't remember, okay? Ask about horses again, I'll slap you red. <laughs> hey! That was fun! This is a segment called Figure It Out, Asshole. <laughs> 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 play on a uh, previous quiz show that we had on our Keanu Reeves podcast called Pop Quiz Asshole. It's just very fortunate we had a kind of relevant asshole quote that I could use. Uh, so there we go. I, I, that is fortunate. I, it, I couldn't ask. I couldn't have asked for anything better, really. Not much had to change. Uh, the rules of this are quite simple. Uh, we have a host who I will introduce in a moment, and the host will ask each of us three questions. If uh, one of us gets it wrong, the other participants have a chance to steal, assuming they remember uh, the remaining answers. So, uh, uh, this is a big assumption. <laughs> yeah, correct, correct, correct. Uh, so, without further ado, I'd like to introduce our master of ceremonies, coming to you live from the void, Charles Nolan. Hello, everybody. Charles. Oh, Charles. Charles. It is so Charles. good to hear your voices again. I have a, I have a question. How's the void? The the void is great. Thank you, Lindsay. Andrew, you have a question. Charles, 
you materialized out of thin air on our previous podcast and began asking us questions because you are a, a Keanu Reeves expert. Yes, um, my void is Keanu Reeves themed. So uh, why are you here? <laughs> I've had a lot of downtime recently and felt like maybe I should broaden my horizons. I love it. I love it. So you are also a Kurt Russell expert now as well. I am now a Kurt Russell expert. I love it. I love it. Well, then that's that was the only question I had. I think it's your job to start asking some questions now. I have one question for all of you. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. 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 Well, let's get started with figure it out, asshole. Starting with. Lindsay. By what percent did the crime rate in the U.S. rise to in 1988, according to the opening line of the movie? Was it 200%, 300%, 400%, or 500%? It was 400%, and I had a hard time not saying that right away, but I know how you feel about being interrupted. <laughs> that is correct in many ways. <laughs> you did it. Well done. Very well done. Next up, Eric. No oh boy. Which of the following actors was not discussed as a potential actor for the character of Snake Plissken? Was it Jeff Bridges? Peter Weller, Chris Christopherson, or Nick Nolte? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, and I'm not sure I have the answer for it. Um, I'm going to go with Nick Nolte. That is incorrect. <gasps> Steel. Andrew. I'm going with Peter Weller on this one. That is correct. Nice. It's RoboCop, right? I should have gone with my first thought. I'm Was looking Peter at Peter Weller, Weller right now. Yeah. <laughs> I have a Buckaroo Bonsai poster next to my microphone. Sorry, does Eric live in his own themed void? <laughs> <laughs> it seems Maybe. like it, right? right? Maybe. I will say that no matter what void I've spent my time in, there is always a Buckaroo Bonsai poster. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no matter where you go, there you are. Next up is Whitney. Yes. Whitney, how many windows are on either side of the president's airplane? 24, oh 28, 32, or 36? 28. That is incorrect. Steel? Lindsay. 36. That is incorrect. Um, Steel. Andrew. 24 was an answer? That is incorrect. Uh, Eric, do you remember you can, the last time? You option? can win by default. I, I absolutely do not. <laughs> 32. That is correct. He did it. <laughs> Ooh, he did it. He did it. I was prepared to give the void a point. 
Oh, I forgot the void is participating in this. The void is always oh participating. That was a really ominous development in Cool Breeze Over the Mountains. I'm not excited about it following us here to Kurt Locker. Yeah. The void follows everyone all the time. <laughs> oh, no. But in a fun I don't way. Care for that. <laughs> Next up is Andrew. How many minutes into the movie do we get before we see Snake Plissken for the first time? Oh. Six, eight, ten, or twelve? Uh, they're messing around on the, the island for a little bit. You know, we see the plane and all that. So I'm going to go with ten. Is it ten minutes? That is incorrect. Steal. I could not tell who that was. It was Lindsay. 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 Twelve? That is incorrect. Hmm. Deal. Whitney. Eighteen. Was that one of the options? That is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> I had a real serious moment of doubt after saying it. I was like, "Hang on, I'm making things up." We now. could hear it. <laughs> I don't remember what. That's six. That is incorrect. Damn the it. void no now has a point. It was eight <laughs> minutes. Ah, uh, all right, all right, all right. Back up to the top with Lindsay. Which 2008 horror film claimed inspiration from Escape from New York for its poster? Huh. Was it Cloverfield, The Strangers? Repo the Genetic Opera or the Midnight Meat Train? Hmm. Trying to think of all their posters. Repo the Genetic Opera? That is incorrect. Steel. Eric. Cloverfield. That is correct. Huh. Okay, okay. I mean, they both have the Statue of Liberty. I guess. <laughs> like a headless, a headless Statue of Liberty figures in both of them. Uh, okay, I like it. They said that it was disappointing that that was not anything we ever saw in the movie Escape from New York. So they put it into the movie Cloverfield. <laughs> yeah, very prominently, very prominently. Moving on to Eric. What is the name of the clock Hawk watches with the time that Pliskin has left? Is it the Hartford Summit Clock, the Big Countdown, the Presidential Time Clock, or the Master Life Clock? Uh, I'm going to go with Master Life Clock. That is correct. Well done. Well done. Fun fact, they actually made that watch and called it the Life Clock. <laughs> That is very fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was very expensive or I would own one. Yeah. Next up is Whitney. Yes. The manhole covers were deemed too heavy for the actors to lift. So instead on the set, they made manhole covers out of what material? Was it wood? Styrofoam, plexiglass, or aluminum? Ooh, that's a good question. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to go with 
wood. That is correct. Well done. Oh, well done. I didn't nice. expect to get any points against Eric. And But look at you. Look, look at, at you at now. now. <laughs> Tied with the void and Lindsay <laughs> and Andrew. Oh. <laughs> feel Speaking of, Andrew. <laughs> I'm ready. Which actor filled filmed all of his scenes in one night of shooting? Huh. Was it Donald Pleasance, Isaac Hayes, Lee Van Cleef, or Frank Doubleday? Um, I will go with Frank Doubleday. That is incorrect. Damn it. Steel. Whitney. Lee Van Cleef? That is correct. <laughs> Look at you. Oh, I really, really expected zero points this this game. <laughs> Back up to the top for the last round of regulation questions. Lindsay. Where did Brain leave Snake four years prior to the start of the movie? Was it Kansas City? Fresno, San Francisco, or Chicago? Kansas City. That is correct. I read the backstory. I like what you did there. <laughs> that was that was tricky because there was a guy on that job named Fresno Bob. Yes, there was. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I like sometimes to be a little tricky. <laughs> Moving on to Eric. Which actress provided the uncredited voice of the opening prologue and the computer voice in the prison scene where we first see Snake Plissken? Was it? Uh, sorry. <laughs> oh no, if you have an answer, please go Eric. ahead. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis? That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> How? Well, I know it's Eric. Never mind. Yeah, I'm no. not surprised. I'm just surprised that it's Jamie Lee Curtis, but I guess I there, shouldn't also be surprised. There are some people that say that Jamie Lee Curtis is the narrator and Deborah Hill is the voice of the computer, but I can't hear a difference. That, that, that is an incorrect assessment from whoever says that. <laughs> it is very clearly Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, I, yeah. I would agree with you. Moving on to Whitney. When the Duke is shooting at the president chained to the wall, how many bullet holes do we see around the president? Are there eight, nine, ten, or eleven? Eleven. <laughs> that is incorrect. Steel. Steel. I heard Lindsay first. Nine. That is incorrect. Steel. Andrew. It's gotta be ten. That is correct. Yeah. It, ha it didn't have to be ten. I just answered that way. No. Was I, had, I had no idea how many there were. <laughs> Moving on to the final question of regulation. Andrew, 
What number cab does Cabby drive? God damn it. 23, 40, 42, or 57? 40. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That was... I am ecstatic right now. Sorry. You sounded so defeated when you gave that answer. (laughs) You did. (laughs) Certainly was. (laughs) Moving on, we have four bonus round questions. In the bonus round, the questions are not posed to any specific person. The players all buzz in to give their answers. The current scores are Lindsay, two, Eric, four, Whitney, two, Andrew, three, Void, one. (laughs) I would like to hear everybody's buzzer sound, starting with Lindsay. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Whitney. Me. Thank you, Andrew. That will not be difficult to differentiate from Eric's at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's the upward. His has an upward. His goes up. Yours stays the same. I'll try to be more Ruby Rod. I'll try. Question number one in the bonus round. What is Snake Plissken's first spoken line in the movie? Is it Lindsay? (laughs) Call me Snake. That is correct. What? Well done. Oh my god. Thank you. Bonus round for waiting for the answer. I know. (laughs) Lindsay came to play. Bonus round question number two. Adrian Barbeau played Maggie. To whom was she married when the movie was released? (laughs) Eric. (laughs) John Carpenter. That is correct. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Bonus round, question number three. Season Hubley played Girl in Chock Full of Nuts. (laughs) (laughs) To whom was she married when this movie was released? Was it A, co-writer Nick Castle, B, producer Larry Franco, C, co-star Kurt Russell, or D, co-star Ernest Borgnine Whitney? Kurt Russell. That is correct. What? Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> she had just given birth to their child, Boston Russell, and this was her first movie back into acting. Hmm. How about that? What? Doesn't help me feel better about the feminism of this movie that the only way women could get a part in is me. <laughs> Nor should it. <laughs> if you're not shacking up with one of the men in this movie, get out of here. I would gladly shack up with many of the men in this movie. <laughs> same, Charles. Preach. Same. Preach it. For the final question of figure it out, asshole. 
What futuristic movie would go on to repaint and use the model city set used in this movie? Was it Back to the Future 2, Johnny Mnemonic, The Terminator, or Blade Runner? Eric. Terminator? That is incorrect. Me. Ding, ding, ding. Whitney. Blade Runner? That is correct. Oh, I was going to be right, too. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> All right, so after a very exciting round of Figure It Out, Asshole, our scores are, in last place, The Void with one point. <laughs> <laughs> Tied for the next spot up, it's Andrew and Lindsay with three. Uh-huh. In a very close five points to four victory, Eric comes out victorious. Whoa! I don't have any uh, fanfare to play. <laughs> Normally I'd play some cool fanfare. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, Thank you, Eric. In fact, thank you, everybody. Now, there is one small part left to do. What's that? Figure it out, audience. I have two questions for our listeners. I will ask them, and you can tweet to me at the Nolan, T-H-E-N-O-W-L-I-N on Twitter, or use the hashtag figure it out, audience. And if you get the right answer, I will give you a shout out on the next episode. Well, all right. I like it. Figure it out, audience. Question number one. The German title of this film was very different from Escape from New York. It got changed to Die Klapperschlange, which translates to what in English? And figure it out, audience. Question number two. For how much did John Carpenter purchase the Chain of Rocks bridge used in the final sequence from St. Louis? What was the price of that bridge? <laughs> and that is it for Figure It Out Audience. Wow. What? The audience what? has better bridge estimating knowledge than I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I'm not exactly a person who has bridge money, so it makes sense that it's not my wheelhouse. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, look, you might you be and surprised. Me both. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, do you have a cheap bridge to sell me? I don't me. want to step on the question, so I'm gonna <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Damn it, Eric! No, it nope. <laughs> This this round turned out exactly as I thought it would. <laughs> yes. Makes but it was sense. closer than I thought it would be, so that's actually also very refreshing. Charles, thank you so much for taking the time and hanging out and getting all these questions together. What a great round of trivia. Thank you so much for having me. I guess we'll we'll chat with you on the next one. That sounds great. I am so excited to be back doing trivia with all of you wonderful people and for all of our wonderful listeners. Uh, I know Aww. some people who are going to really appreciate it. Very exciting to uh, have you back, Charles. Thank you. 
I'm going to go back into my void mm, now. <laughs> that was a visual gag for the audience, and it was perfectly executed. Uh, <laughs> well done. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this is Whitney's movie. Whitney, uh, Wikipedia has a great synopsis. Yeah, I'm definitely using Wikipedia's synopsis for this one because I feel like it covers all the main beats. Perfect. So hit us when you're ready. Yeah. Okay. So in this movie, we start with uh, in dystopian 1988, amidst total war against China and the Soviet Union, the United States government has turned Manhattan into a giant maximum security prison to deal with a 400% increase in crime, a 50-foot in parentheses, 15 meters, wall surrounds the island. Bridges have been mined and rivers are patrolled by helicopters. All prisoners are sentenced to life terms. In 1997, while flying the president of the United States to a peace summit in Hartford, Connecticut, Air Force One is hijacked by a guerrilla fighter of the National Liberation Front, named in reference to the Viet Cong. The president is given a tracking bracelet and is handcuffed to his briefcase before being escorted to an escape pod. The aircraft crashes, but the pod survives. Police are dispatched to rescue the president. And Romero, the right-hand man of the Duke of New York, the overall crime boss, warns that the president has been captured and will be killed if any further rescue attempts are made. Meanwhile, former Special Forces soldier Snake Plissken is about to be sent into Manhattan after being convicted of robbing the Federal Reserve. And just just to point mm-hmm. out the like economy of storytelling, we get all of that in what what was the question Charles asked? Like eight minutes? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was it was <laughs> quite like, a yeah. The movie just is going. Sorry. Yes. It's great. Fact. <laughs> no, you're correct. Um, okay, so police commissioner Bob Hulk. Uh, offers a deal to Snake. If he rescues the president in time for the summit, Hawk will arrange a presidential pardon. To keep Snake from going rogue, he has him injected with microexplosives that will sever his carotid arteries in 22 hours. If Snake is successful, Hawk will neutralize the explosives. Using a stealth glider to land atop the World Trade Center, Snake follows the tracking bracelet to a vaudeville theater only to find it on the wrist of a deluded old man. Was that guy that old? I felt like he was more drunk than deluded, but yeah. either way. Buck Flower, also a John Carpenter favorite. Oh. Convinced that the president is dead because his bracelet is on some deluded man, Snake radios Hawk, but is told that he will be shot down if he returns without the president. Snake meets Cabby, who drives an armored taxi that takes Snake to Harold. Brain Hellman, an advisor to the Duke and a former associate of Snake. They ended up being old buds, but not really. Mm-hmm. Brain, a brilliant engineer, has established an oil well and a small refinery fu- which fuels the city's remaining cars and tells Snake that the Duke plans to lead a mass escape across across, across the Queensboro Bridge by using the president as a human shield and following a landmine map that Brain has drawn up. He didn't actually draw it up. Some other guy did, but that other guy was shot dead, so I guess he doesn't (laughs) (laughs) Yep. 
Snake forces Brain and his girlfriend Maggie to lead him to the Duke's hideout at Grand Central Terminal. Snake finds the president, but he is captured. While Snake is forced to fight in a death match against Slag, Brian, or not Brian, Brain and Maggie kill Romero and they flee with the president. Snake kills Slag and finds Brain, Maggie, and the president at the top of the World Trade Center trying to escape in the glider that Snake landed there. After a band of inmates pushes it off a building, destroying it, the group returns to street level and encounters Cabby, who offers to take them across the bridge. Cabby reveals that he bartered with Romero for the contents of the briefcase, a cassette tape, which contains the information about nuclear fusion, intended to be an international peace offering. The president demands the tape, but Snake claims it. The Duke pursues them onto the bridge in his customized Cadillac, which has been mentioned here before, setting off mines as he tries to catch up. Brain guides Snake, but they hit a mine and Cabby is killed. As they continue on foot, Brain is killed by another mine. Maggie refuses to leave him, shooting at Duke's car until she is run down. Snake and the president reach the containment wall. Guards hoist the president up. The Duke opens fire, killing the guards before Snake subdues him. He attempts to shoot Snake as he is being lifted up the rope, but the president opens fire opens fire on the Duke with a dead guard's assault rifle, violently killing him, which is quite a notable scene in the movie, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a number one! <laughs> uh, before the president finishes lifting Snake, Hawk's doctor saves Snake's life with just seconds to spare. As the president prepares for a televised speech to the leaders at the summit meeting, he thanks Snake and tells him he can have anything he wants. And all Snake wants to know is how the president feels about all the people who died saving him. The president offers only half-hearted regret and lip service for their sacrifice. Snake walks away disgusted. Hawk offers him a job as his deputy, but Snake just keeps walking. The president's live speech commences and he plays the cassette tape. To his embarrassment, it only plays Cabby's song, Bandstand Boogie. As Snake walks away, he intentionally tears the magnetic tape out of the cassette reel, destroying the actual message that was intended to be delivered by the president. The end. Boom. (laughs) Is there a world in which Snake gives the tape to the president? If the president was sincere in his uh, thanks. No, I don't. No? I don't think there's anything that he could have said that would have satisfied Snake. Yeah, yeah. Because he's the president and because he's kind of just smarmy and weaselly and whatever, I literally think the most sincere thing still wouldn't have been inducement for Snake. I think Snake was mm. going to be like, fuck this guy no matter what the president <laughs> did. I mean, he already yeah. gave him the wrong tape. So, well, I, I, think, I, I think what he's right in that Maybe up until that point, if the president had behaved differently, there would have been something he could have said. But I think his mind was pretty much already made up about the president by the time that they actually get there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it had anything to do with escaping from New York. I think Snake just like hates really? what America has become. Ah, so just burn it all. I think he hates the like fascist police state. I think he like, mm-hmm. I, I think, and, and, I don't want to get too deep, but like, I feel like part of, I don't think Carpenter's, again, I don't think Carpenter's politics are subtle. Like, 
I, I think like the removal of civil liberties, right, or the encroachment on the the freedoms of the individual, or what he's or what Snake rails against. I don't. I don't think it would have mattered what the president said. Yeah. I mean, they don't say it in the movie outright, but I just assume just from who Snake is and what we see that the robbery of the Federal Reserve was not some like grand get rich quick scheme, but more of a Robin Hood kind of a thing. Yeah, or even just I have nothing to back that up. But they after what how they yeah they definitely give you that vibe. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Based on, I mean, the the original opening exists, right? You can go on YouTube and find it. There's not an explicit reason for the the robbery, but I do think it was just a middle finger to the country, right? Like, I don't, Mm -hmm. that is the implication. And I'll say this, I don't want to spoil anything, but (gasps) memorize this structure because Escape (laughs) from L.A. is coming. (laughs) And they don't get real creative with the structure in Escape from LA. <laughs> We've got right. a whole decade and a half, I think, before we get there. But yeah, but um, all right, good to know. Yeah. All right. Wow, this has been an episode, but we're not we're not mm-hmm. done. But this is this part's going to go quick. So, I think I know the answer for everybody. But let's start with Whitney on this one. Do you ultimately recommend this film? Yes, I do. Yeah, not even, no hesitation. <laughs> Eric, I think no. I could skip you, but I'd love to hear you just <laughs> say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. All right. You should watch this film. What if he pulled Actually, my, f- my full <laughs> recommendation is you should seek out the Shout Factory issue reissue of this film, which has a gorgeous okay. 2K transfer. And and go through all the special features. They put a bunch of new special features on it. Ooh, fancy. There's a reason why Eric was destined to win this episode's trivia. <laughs> right. <laughs> because As foretold by the prophecy. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Lindsay, do you recommend this movie? Yeah. I'm not pulling an Evan. I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> How, well, yeah. Uh, it goes, it, you know, it goes without saying, but I also very, very highly recommend Escape from New York. I kind of feel like I know how this is going to go, too. But, you know, let's... I believe I also know how this is going to go. Let's start with Whitney again. Where are you ranking Escape from New York? It is number one on my list. Andrew. It is number one. It mm-hmm. so. The distance between your first and your second movie, uh, Escape from New York and Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, is there a large canyon in between these two or is it closer yes, than you might one think? one might say that. <laughs> okay. All right. There's a Manhattan-sized gap between these mm-hmm. two. Okay. I mean, okay. the Computer Wore Tennis Shoes is fine. I still recommend it. I still think you should see it. But I would say that the gap between the two movies is fairly large. Fair enough. Fair enough. Eric, I'm going to read your list really quickly here. You have the computer <laughs> wore tennis shoes and you have Super Dad. So where does Escape from New York fit into the, this picture? So we are we are fully into like the Kurt Russell period that I love. Yeah. Escape from New York is going to rocket to number one. <laughs> Way past those other two. Uh-huh. Over the computer wore tennis shoes and 
Fair enough. Absolutely over Super Dad, which <laughs> can go fuck itself. Uh, but that is that is subject to change pretty quickly. We're okay. gonna we're gonna see some movement coming up here because we're we're getting into prime Kurt for me. All right, sounds like uh, it's, I'm very excited. Very excited, uh, Lindsay. Your list is now you see him, now you don't, and the one and only genuine original family band. So yeah, no, I mean, I, I really had to deliberate about this. Now number one with an arterial neck bomb, per- absolutely. Right now, yes, Escape from New York tops my list. Perfect. Okay, uh, it is also going to be uh, my number one film, uh, surprising no one. Uh, this is far and away the best thing I think we've seen uh, from Kurt thus far. Uh, and it's not close. Not close at all. <laughs> you could fit Charles's void between this movie and now you, see, now you know. It. And yes. So, yeah, there, there it is. There it is. All right. That has Andrew, been logged as such. What? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't caught up with the episode yet, but it doesn't seem like you have used cars in your list. Oh, did I just paste over it? Oh, I did. Um, <laughs> shit. Oh, no, oh. I also did. I pasted over it. My bad. Uh, okay. Used cars for me is my... <laughs> we could just keep it pasted over, I guess. <laughs> um, I'll fix it on yours too, Whitney. Um, you. Used cars for me is number two. Used cars for Whitney is number three. Um, there we go. Now the list is as it should be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's good. But Escape from New York still. Come on. It's just, Number one. it's not For even close. For sure. All right. So let's talk about next week uh, as we wind this thing down. I will be walking us through the next film in our Kurt Russell catalog, The Fox and the Hound, which, uh, as you've all uh, informed me, is supposed to be a laugh riot. <laughs> just get some cookie dough and settle in for like a good cry. Yeah, I'm excited. This is very traditional Disney animation, right? This is like the hand-drawn mm-hmm. stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. this is very. What else was around this time? Like uh, Lady and the Tramp, Aristocrat, Bambi, the Aristocrat. Uh, yeah, the Aristocats. Okay. Um, All right. So it's yeah. Hundred and one Dalmatians was around this time, I think. Okay. So you got you got me in the ballpark. I I I have fond memories of most of those. I, I didn't mm-hmm. have all of the Disney VHSs in their fancy cases, but uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were go-tos as a kid. So that's uh very exciting. Very exciting. That's it. We did it. Oh my god, it's done. I I I'm, I was pumped coming in. I'm even more excited leaving. It's great. It's such a great. I'm like I want to go watch it again. Is basically how I'm feeling. Now so, I'm going to continue we'll my quest for some Snake Plissken boots. Yes. Etsy has let, let us me know down. How that goes. Etsy, I'm very disappointed in you. I think. I mean, you have until October if, with what I'm thinking, is going to be your Halloween costume. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not a bad one at all. So yeah. We, yeah, we'll be back next week as always. But uh, until then, let's uh, let's go through here. Whitney, where can people find you on the Internet? Mm, I am very rarely tweeting uh, at Whitney underscore Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N. And I am on Instagram at Whitney Nelson with no underscore. 
Um, and that's mostly pictures of food and my pets. So nothing really edifying, but potentially entertaining nonetheless. Eric, where might people find you? Well, Andrew, uh, mostly you can find me on Discord, uh, the 12 and 24 Discord, uh, among others. Um, I am also Platypus Jones on Twitter and on Instagram. Not Pinterest? I'm not Platypus Jones on Pinterest, but I am big on Pinterest. <laughs> You'll have to find him on your own audience if you if you want to seek that out. It's a little quest. He's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lindsay, where are you on the internet? Uh, I am Lindsay Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N on Twitter, and Lindsay Cameron Nelson on Instagram. Uh, if you follow my Twitter, I will be able to see any other podcasts that I'm on. Um, I will always put them there and also lots of gelato. True artistry. True, true <laughs> artistry. Uh, you can find me at Dark Driving on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Instagram's mostly stories and Twitter. I uh, just opine about things and that's what I do now. So, um yeah, and promote the hell out of these shows. So it's all it's all circular it's all circular engine there. So follow me there if you want. If you want. And of course on the Discord, 1224.com slash Discord. Listen live. It'll be great. Lane Train did. Lane Train's fiance Casey did. Still here. The whole time. Even through our technical difficulties, Lane Train. Yes. Stayed. Thanks for sticking with Incredible. us through that, Lane Train. <laughs> <laughs> so uh what am I gonna do? I press where's my button? Hold on. There's my button. Yeah. I'm going to press that and say uh, thank you all for joining us. And in the immortal words of Jack Burton, sit tight, hold the fort, keep the home fires burning. <laughs>